Yes, I'm all set. I'm all set. I got my appointment. It's coming up Monday, and they're... They're canceled? Oh. Uh, okay. Well, uh, postponed, let's just say. that They're postponed, but they, I'm sure there's something coming up the pike. There'll be a, another set of vaccines. Oh, hi. It's Pete Pomisano. I'm a little bit uh, disappointed. I was all set to get my vaccine, and guess what? <laughs> Somebody didn't send enough doses. Now, I'm not sure who to blame here, and I'm not pointing any fingers. Doesn't make any difference. Let's move on with the podcast. Hey, we've got another great one for you this week. Guess what? I have to talk to you about the Buffalo Spree magazine. I just got my new issue, and I always go through the entire thing, and I dog-ear all of the pages that I want to come back to and read later on. And why don't I just read them right away, you ask? Well, because I can't wait to get to the end of the issue, because I want to see how many cool things they have in there. And if I stop and read an article and then come back later, I won't know what's in the rest of the book. So I dog-ear everything, and then I go back and read it. Why am I telling you all this? Because today... I've got Elizabeth Licata for you, the editor-in-chief of Buffalo Spree magazine. But before we get to Elizabeth, let's do our to-go segment. For all of the restaurants that are still suffering and continue to suffer, let's do our takeout segment with Donna Hoke, RLTP ensemble member and popular playwright, well-known, one of the great playwrights of Buffalo. Here's Donna Hoke to tell you about her favorite takeout places. So, <laughs> do you have a couple of restaurants or, or two or three restaurants you want to talk about? Well, we order, we order takeout every Saturday. My son mm. is the takeout czar. Um, we <laughs> gave him that job, so he handles it. If it has to be picked up, he goes to pick it up. He collects all the orders. He places the orders. So, like, on Good Saturday, for you. On Saturday, that's his job. A takeout czar. Yes. I love it. <laughs> now, does he have to pick? Or does he get to pick or does everybody he kick usually in? Usually will at least suggest, I mean, we have had some kind of, you know, kickback, like, oh, we don't want to order from there. I'm like, but Ethan, it's really ultimately up to you because you're the one doing all the legwork. But we kind of have our standbys, which are Lloyd, Zoe, and Pizza Plant. It's primarily because we have a house of six and it's hard to please all palates. So those places offer a variety. Everybody can get something they're happy with. So let's pick one at a time and just talk about them briefly. Zoe is a diner. It's a big Greek diner. Where but where is it located? It's on Transit Road in Clarency Stamhurst, right on Transit. Okay. The Clarence side mm -hmm. by Spoth Market. And it, it was always popular. It used to be much smaller. It was always packed. You could never get in there for breakfast. But the nice thing about them is being a diner, they have everything, you know, yes. so we get everything from beans and greens to eggs Benedict when we order from there. <laughs> but they also on weekends will deliver, which is nice. That's a nice feature within a certain radius, I'm sure. Yeah. But the nice thing about that is like, I really don't, I discourage us from using DoorDash or, or Grubhub because they take a cut of the restaurant's yes. money. So the fact that Zoe delivers themselves means that doesn't happen and we can still get delivery. So nice. we like that. So it's a Greek diet. Basically they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner available, I would assume. Yeah, they have everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have everything. And they have some decent vegetarians. So we have two vegetarians, a vegan, a half vegetarian, and two carnivores in the house. <laughs> so we, we need to have places that accommodate all of that. Yes. So that 
they have everything. That's very good. Anything we should know about their hours? Are they open every day, seven days a week? or are They're they open every day. I'm pretty sure they only deliver Fridays and Saturdays. Okay. They may be delivering every day now that they're not. I think they were only delivering Friday and Saturday when the restaurant was open inside. Mm-hmm. But we only take out on Saturday, so, so I'm not sure. Okay, last question. Any recommendations of things that you think are particularly good or that are favorites that you order all the time? I usually get the, the veggie burger, which is a black bean burger. Edmund gets like a, a beans thing and Greek potatoes. A black bean burger, those can be really iffy. Is, do you know if they make their own or if, if it's, is it, it's something clearly that you order it more than once, so... Because they have great sweet potato fries, too. Um, Well, it comes with like an avocado and tomato and red pepper. It's like a whole vegetable stack. Um, It's really good. Oh, wow. That sounds very good. Yeah. I'm usually iffy about veggie burgers because I don't want them to have like a frozen patty. I want to know that they're making it. I guess that's what I'm asking you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good, good burger. Okay. Let's talk about Lloyd's then, which, of course, people know them from... They've been Lloyd's Taco Truck for a long time, and then they opened up the you know the actual brick and mortar place. The one that we get from is Main Street in Williamsville. Okay. So it's close, and we have to pick up there. And again, same thing. You know, they have all like the skinny tie tacos are my favorite, and the black bean tacos. But then my son likes the chorizo mac and cheese. Um, so there's something for everybody there too. And, and so is it, it is strictly on the taco Mexican sort of. Yeah. But they, I mean, like the thing is with most, with these three places, we kind of have a standing order, which also makes it really easy for Ethan. <laughs> He'll be like, cause everyone just want their usual. And because we're alternating, it's maybe only once a month or so. Makes it easy for um, your son. Yeah. Mom, you want the usual? Yeah. yeah, we don't, nice. ra- we rarely change. The nice thing about Lloyd is they deliver the margarita party pack. <laughs> Ooh. So we were doing Lloyd a lot when we were watching like um, stuff like uh, digital content from the different theaters. That's always when we get Lloyd and we get the margarita party pack and they really are making them party. Like you need like half a margarita. They're so strong. Like, um, but it's a good, a good deal. And they bring them to the door to have with your tacos. So we were getting those. What else comes in the margarita po- party pack besides just, obviously margaritas? No, it's just margaritas. That's it. Oh, oh. Like you get like a four pack of margaritas, which, you know. Oh, that's great. I thought yeah. maybe it came with, you know, chips no. and dips and guacamole and no. that sort of thing. They do they do deliver the ice, though. <laughs> really? And salt and limes, yeah. Holy, well, that, this is a first. <laughs> Listening to a, a, a liquor delivery, basically, is what it is. They do any of their drinks, but that's usually what we end up getting. Yeah. Um, so we were doing that in the winter, especially if we like got something from musical fair or whatever to watch. And Lloyd's doesn't ju- just do tacos. I mean, they have a, a taco salads and things of that. Yeah. Nature I think Edmund gets like a bowl thing. A bowl. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what's the third one that you and mentioned? Pizza Plant, which I think only now has two locations. They have no, I the have lo- been to Pizza Plant. They're down on transit uh, past Sheridan, maybe. Yeah, the they're right um, where the old uh, Atlanta Bread Company used to be. Okay, okay. So Pizza Plant is in that space now, which is bigger. And they also have a location at Canal Side. And Pizza Plant is probably lunch and dinner. And it's very hard to find a place that's open on Sunday, but Pizza Plant is. And so. Pizza Plant, they're famous for their pods, right? Is, for it, their pods, which is basically like a big calzone. Big calzone, right, right. I have been there and, and enjoyed the their pods. And they, they come... All sorts of different styles, too. There's veggie. There's... I just wrote about it for Spree. I think they have 33 varieties, but you can also make your own with 
anything. And then they also have specialty ones that they have for different seasons. Do you know if the whole menu is available? For takeout? I think it is because we are all getting the things that we normally get. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I like, I love their uh, vegetarian chili because they serve it in the bread bowl over rice. Yeah, so I nice. always get that. And people love it because they have all the gluten-free options. Oh. And they also can make anything vegan that you want vegan. So like they have the garden curry nachos. If you want them with vegan cheese, you can do that. So again, it satisfies everybody because we have, you know, from vegan to meat eater all in one house. So yes, that's, that's important that you have that wide variety available <laughs> yeah. and that pizza plant will accommodate you. Yeah. They will make anything vegan without batting an eye. And they have like the, the veggie wings. They have a good vegan vegetarian menu and gluten-free. So well, that's terrific. Well, that's great. Thanks very much, Donna. I, that, that's oh, no problem. Three, three new ones we haven't talked about yet. And all of those are very affordable places as well. I just, I should add that, especially when you have a, is it a six person? Six, six adults. Yeah. Six adults. And that's a lot of food and a lot of eating and a lot of meals <laughs> and, and a lot of expense. So yeah, that's, that's why great, we only do it once a week. <laughs> great recommendations. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, dear. It's good you, to see Peter. you. Good Take to care see of you yourself too. and you uh, stay safe and sane. And you too. I hope to see you again when all this is over. Hopefully sooner rather than later. More great restaurants, more great places for takeout. Remember to give them a little extra, a little tip when you go by there. And I'm going to do something a little extra myself right now because I'm going to endorse something that I haven't even tried. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants downtown is Black Sheep. The Black Sheep is on Connecticut Avenue. It's right behind the Cavanoke Theater. Well, it's not right behind, but it's just down the street from it at 367 Connecticut Street. And you know, a while back, my daughter brought all of her friends from Atlanta to Buffalo, and Steve and Ellen's place, Stephen Ellen Ghidra, their place was the place we chose to have a special birthday dinner with all of her friends from Atlanta who came up to enjoy Buffalo cuisine. And Steve came out after every course and talked about what it was and talked about what the pairings were. Just a great, very knowledgeable guy. And I'd like to help them out as much as I can at this point. So what they did was they've opened someplace called Bo Peep Deli. Get it? Black Sheep little Bo Peep. It's pretty clever. Anyway, they've got all these cool sandwiches and things, all these deli sorts of, of menu items in place of what they would be doing for larger dinners. And I would really like to endorse them just as the food is so good there. I'm sure that the deli menu items are equally as good, even though I haven't tried them. Matter of fact, if somebody can try them and let me know, I would love to hear about it. That's Bo Peep Deli, and it's on Connecticut Street there, 367 Connecticut. And, uh, oh, let me see if there's a phone number here. Yes, here it is, 884-1100. They're open Wednesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Give them a call. Try one of their special deli sandwiches. I can guarantee that it'll be great. Let's move on to our mystery guest, Mr. Greg Howes. Terrific actor. I know you'll appreciate hearing from him. Yeah, sure. who, who was most influential in, in your coming up and uh, getting to be a pretty regular on the stages in Buffalo? Yeah, without a doubt, hands down, Kyle LeConte. Oh, Kyle. Yeah. Who doesn't love Kyle LeConte? Mm, I gush. Yeah. Just <laughs> well, how did, that, how did that come about? 
Well, it's funny. I, I studied under her at NCCC. She was also my guidance counselor. And I took a couple of her classes, you know, her along with Arthur Taylor and Wesp. Richard. Yeah, Richard Wesp. Yeah, great guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to college and Kyle, you know, she put me on stage a couple of things. And um, a couple of years after I graduated back in 2007, she called me one or she emailed me one day and she said, you know, there's a piece in at Roadless Travel Theater and I think you would be perfect for it. Uh, reach out to Scott Barron. I think you guys know each other. You know, yeah, you know each other. <laughs> so I said, okay. You know, I reached out to him and he's like, yeah, okay, all right. And this play, of course, was insidious. Yes. I went down and I met Scott and <laughs> Kyle, like, you know, it was like a blind date. She's like, oh, you know, Greg. And, oh, you know, Scott. <laughs> we had never met each other. We didn't know. And we got down. I was like, nope, I don't know you either. So <laughs> I read for the piece. And he's like, I think I think you might be great for the part. And that started my foray. I think that was 13, 14, 13 years ago, something like that. Wow. And ever since then, you know, she's been very instrumental in everything that I've ever done. And if it wasn't for her, I, I don't think I ever would have met Scott. I, and I wasn't even doing theater. I was cooking. I was working in a restaurant, working at Bob Evans or something. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of skyrocketed from there. Of course, the insidious, we ended up bringing it back for a second year because it was, it was, it was a good piece. Uh, by yeah, yeah. yeah. It was awesome. Awesome piece of work. And it kind of took me out of my comfort zone. Um, it was something I'd never done before. Uh, there were some parts in it, you know, I had to talk to my family, like, are you okay with this? And they said, you know, my mom said, if you're okay with it, we're okay with it. You're just acting, you know, and it's, it's going to get you out there. And this is something you went to college for. It's something you have a passion for. So why not do it? Nice. But it was Kyle that, that really started me, started me going there. I love her every day. Now, I can't remember now. Was Scott directing that and she was just advising that was, him on uh, casting? No, no. Uh, Scott had kind of run up into a wall, like he, he couldn't he couldn't get the thing cast, and him and Emmett mm. were running out of time. And she said, "You know what? I think I got a guy. You know, I haven't talked to him in a few years, but let me reach out to him." So she emailed me. That was written by Evan Shabazz, and that was directed by Doug Shigner. Oh, oh, of course, of yeah. course, I know Doug very well. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then it, it was a happy ending after that because uh, it was hugely popular and successful. Yeah. Well, let's let's spend a minute then on uh, what, what do you do to get ready for a role? What do you do when you when you're handed a script and you say, and it's well, you know, we we don't have to talk about Insidious, sure, but just any role. But if you want to use that one as an example, feel free. Yeah, um, it really comes down to what the role actually is. Um, I have a I have a secret spot that I go to and I work on monologues downtown. It's it's right a little bit a little bit past the Pearl Street Grill, and it's a beautiful little spot. Nobody can hear me, and I can yell mm-hmm. and scream and go nuts there. But it's a it's a combination of uh, just kind of drilling the lines over and over and over again, and sometimes doing a little method acting. With method, I always come back to uh, a piece that I did called The Whipping Man at JRT, the Jewish Rep at Jewish Repertory Theater. Sure. And uh, we was working with Saul Elkin, and I played a slave in 1865, and I was uh, playing across from Stan Clemenko and the late D. Perry. Oh, I remember that. Yes, I remember that. And I was doing this monologue, and I the guy's the, the guy's name is John, and he's pissed drunk, and he's doing this monologue, and I got a bottle of whiskey in my hand, and I'm stumbling all over the stage, and it just kind of it it looked like I was trying to look drunk 
So Saul <laughs> told me, he said, go home, meditate on it, you know, put it away. Don't think about it. You know, do what you need to do. Just, 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 just step away from it for a second. So I said, you know, I, if I'm going to play a drunk, maybe I need to get drunk. So I went <laughs> and actually bought a bottle of whiskey and I drank half of it. And I got through this three page monologue that night. And uh, when I came back, <laughs> I, was, I moved all my furniture in my in my apartment, and I was just stumbling around my living room. My girlfriend came over at the time. I, I kicked her out, and I was like, you got to get out of here. I'm working on stuff. <laughs> I kicked her out, and I, I worked it. And I came back, and Saul was like, I don't know what you did, but that part is so believable now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let me ask you: Did you throw? Because if I had a if I had a drunk a half a bottle of whiskey, I'd have been so sick for a, about a week. No, I, it my stomach just can't handle it. <laughs> it was uh, I was a bit younger, and it was not a great <laughs> rehearsal. But that part, I definitely nailed it. And uh... <laughs> so your process in that in that particular case was really really method. You you learned what it meant to be stinking drunk thinking drunk i mean you know because i was trying to stumble around and then in my living room i actually stumbled around and i recorded it and i was like that's what i look like when i'm pissed drunk uh, okay that's what it looks like that's and it it kind of every time i did that monologue i, I kind of burp a little bit and um <laughs> and i remember that that night uh working on that <laughs> well that's a very cool story well, i'm glad i asked about that because <laughs> it's great you know thank god you weren't you know committing a murder or something because uh, then you, you know god knows you'd have to stop a little short of that sure because... i'd be uh, doing it from wendy or something you know <laughs> <laughs> well listen greg i really appreciate you talking to me today those are great answers and uh you stay safe at the hospital okay my friend you you guys do the same Greg Howes, I've seen him in a couple of things that I really, really enjoyed. Very natural on stage. Look for his name next time you're looking through the uh, theater guide when the theater guide becomes active again. And now, without further ado, here is Elizabeth Licata, the editor-in-chief of Buffalo Spree Magazine. I, of course, want to talk to you about the Buffalo Spree, but I want to get to know you a little bit more. You you are a local girl, correct? Yes. My research says that you're from Lockport originally. That's true, yes. And you went to uh, UB? Right. I went to UB, and uh, I went to Buff State for a while, then UB, and I went to uh, City University of New York Grad Center for a while. What were you majoring in? English. English. So you, you get out of college, and I, I know, I, I'm not quite sure what the timeline was, but I know you were the curator at, at the Castellani Art Museum for a while. and was It took a long time to sort of decide what I wanted to do with my career, and I, I still dabble in a lot of different things, but I, know. I was writing about art when I was at UB, and one of my professors urged me to to look into writing about art more. But the main thing that, that ties it all together is you have to go back and, and understand that I was arts editor of the Spectrum back in the early 80s and then continued writing uh, as a freelancer for many different publications, including the Buffalo News, Art News, Art in America, several other art magazines. So I've been a freelance writer for almost 40 years. Mm-hmm. And my writing is what got me the job at the Castellani because they needed someone to uh, write. At the time, uh, museums were beginning to do more about 
giving the people who visit it information about what's up there instead of just expecting them to look at a little label and then figure it out for themselves, especially with contemporary art, which can be daunting to uh, museum visitors. And then I just started getting into curating because I was there and the art was there, and a very small staff. So it's not the kind of museum that would have demanded that I had, you know, a, a curator, a master's in, you know, uh, art history from Williams or something like that, that yes. went beyond Knoxwood. The person who can write is always in demand, I, I yeah. would say. Did you so, always have a love? Did you always have a, an interest in writing? Oh, yes. Well, reading and writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. First reading and then then writing. And, and it was just when you were an English major, as you know, yes, you spend a lot of time writing about other writing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so you, it gives you, a, I, I think it's better for journalism, and I'm sure I'll get an argument about than these the communication programs, which tell you the formula to write a story. Yes. But when you're an English major, you're studying writing. What does, what makes writing work? And you're figuring that out and you're explaining it. Yes. That got to help you become a better writer. Mm -hmm. It has mm -hmm. to. So I feel that. So I think that that kind of education, you know, makes, makes it, it, very likely that that one would come away from it as a writer. So how do how do you square that with your love for gardening, and because talk about creativity and and the beauty of that. And I know you've written books about gardening and that you blog on gardening and you've written a book about the garden walk. So how do you square the, your love of writing with your love of? We bought a property. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you buy a property, you learn how to garden. The people who were here before had garden. I didn't exactly agree with everything that they planted, but it gave me a really great foundation to start with. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think it was really liking flowers, as I, I would assume most people do. Sure. You know, <laughs> my God, why would you ever get into gardening? It's like, <laughs> you know. uh, bulbs I can do because they, you know, it's not it's exactly not the... like, you know, deciding to study frog DNA or something. It's like, you know, it's, it's a natural world surrounds you. So, so you started planting gardens you around the house. house you got to do something. So yes, yes. So then I, I got very interested in it. And because I'm a reader, I read a lot of books to learn about it. Mm -hmm. And um, because I'm a writer, I started blogging about it, like, I'm going to say around 2005, just to sort of keep a record of what I was doing. Oh, and I had explored online ways of doing that because I, I had been like writing using a computer, using computers for everything on the web, everything since like 1982. Mm -hmm. we, were, we learned at UB, uh, Mark Schechner um, set up a class where we all learned how to use Word, WordStar. These were like the first PCs. WordStar, sure, sure. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is not too long after a computer was a big room with stuff, you know. So, and so the, I, it was natural for me to look online. So I looked and I saw some sites where you could put in timelines of when you planted this or that. And I, just, and I thought, well, a friend of mine was blogging on Blogger, which is free. Mm -hmm. And so I started my Blogger blog. And then I was asked to do a guest post for Garden Rant. And I wrote, uh, they asked me to do a, I write about Garden Walk because everyone was hearing about Garden Walk. Garden Walk was getting buzzed. The book, yeah, yeah. Mainly, the yes. book really did that. Your book, Garden Walk Buffalo. Right. I mean, it wasn't, it was the decision of the Garden Walk committee to do a book. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my, you know, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to write a book. No. <laughs> I'll do the text. Yes. Don, you do the pictures. Jim, you design yes. it. 
And so they asked me to write about Gardmark, which I did. And they said, do you want to write something else? I said, oh yeah, there's something that bugs me. So I wrote a guest post about the overuse of American flags in front garden. (laughs) (laughs) And if you look in the Garden Walk book, you will see there's one small garden that entire front lawn, no flowers, no nothing, a whole like dozens of little tiny American flags. It looks like a cemetery. It it looks like you're... (laughs) No judgment. (laughs) I'm judging it. I'm judging it, right? (laughs) And I judged it too, because I wrote... I feel like I'm in Arlington all of a sudden, and I see all these. So I got more responses than any other post they had had before. Wow. Not all of them agreeing with me by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and so they said, why don't you join us? So I did. And that was really fun. It's not about writing about your own garden that much. You're, you're trying to, that's why it's called garden rain. You try to address issues. I see. So it sounds to me like you, you almost became part of the gardening community because yeah. you were looking for something else to write about. Mm-hmm. And then you became more and more involved in it. And it was well, not it was fun. Blogging is, was fun. Mm-hmm. There was a whole bunch of us garden bloggers at one time. And it's kind of dwindled a bit because now of course you have other platforms. You have Instagram, you have Facebook, you have, I understand. Uh, YouTube, a lot of gardening action on YouTube. Well, you know what? Let's talk about a hundred things to do in Buffalo before you die. (laughs) It it did surprisingly, I mean, I was contacted by Reedy Press and they're based in St. Louis and they do a whole series. You probably, but it's a hundred things to do in Boston before you die. A hundred things to do in Atlanta. There's Mm -hmm. a whole thing. They're all bucket list books. And so they're looking to do, they were looking to do a Buffalo one and they actually, they just asked me if I knew anyone. I thought, well, you know, I could do that. <laughs> it's really just a list, but it, it did um, really well. I, when I had the launch, I, it, there was like people lined up. <laughs> oh and my goodness. So, I mean, it, it's gone through two, two printings. That's terrific. That's terrific. <laughs> yeah. We sold out at the launch and I sold out at another, you know, at first, and it's always the way with books. Sure. Like first, a big rush, like, oh, big deal, big rush. Then nobody cares. <laughs> and you just have to get you have to get used to that. I'm guessing I'm that 100, 100, of the hundred things, ninety nine of them can't be done right now because they're <laughs> indoors or. Oh, know. I know it's just getting narrower and narrower. You know, yeah, the yeah. pennies closed. You know that they could oh. be open if they wanted, but they're not. No. And you know you can't go anywhere, so you can't. You know, but there there's still a few things. I'm writing a new book for them. Actually, I've written it. It'll come out in April called Secret Buffalo. Very cool. And so that's like more weird stuff. Uh-huh. It's the whole idea of what's secret and what's not. If you're someone like me doing what I do, nothing is secret. Right. If you're someone who's just moving into Buffalo, like everything's a secret. <laughs> sure. Well, also the, the secret in terms of being their, their little, their smaller things, smaller little things that, that, a, that this group knows about or that group knows about. Right. But. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. That there's like little niche groups of people that know about these things. And then a lot of people don't. Uh, interesting. That sounds like a very cool idea. Is that also a series of theirs? Yes. Secret things to know about Boston. Secret they things. They do food. They do secret. They do historic. They do, yeah, yeah. It's their whole thing. They were a textbook company, and they um, got into this whole travel genre. How very and interesting. the same people who ran the textbook company are still there. They're just doing this. <laughs> they pivoted, is what you're telling me. They pivoted, me. yeah. <laughs> so I do, now I'm going to do a virtual launch. It's all going to have to be virtual, even oh, in man. April, I'm sure. Oh, uh. So that's when the book is coming out in April? 
Yeah. Well, I'll look forward to that. And tell me again the name of it, 100 Secret Things? No, Secret Buffalo, that's it. Secret Buffalo. And I think it has a subhead, A Guide to the Wild, Wacky, and Obscure. <laughs> I hope I don't see any of my friends' names in there. <laughs> I just hope that I credited everyone that I needed to credit. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is all stuff that's not, I had to look up a lot of stuff. I bet. I and bet. I, but I really tried, and and my photo credits, and you know, I tried to uh, recognize yes. all the people. Like, there's a great website. It's called Buffalo as an Architectural Museum. No, I have not seen that. It's the most complete collection of all. You say you like architecture. I do. It's everything, yes. everything, and full length text, historically researched text about a lot of structures. And it now has added public art. It's got all the murals around there. Every oh my single. goodness. Who did Buffalo that? as an architectural. It's called Buff. It's Buffalo A, uh, Buffalo ah. org. Well, you know, I look at Buffalo stories that uh, that Steve Cishan does. Sure. Yeah, I use some of Steve's stuff. Yeah, it's Buffalo org. Let's move on to the Buffalo Spree because I'm fascinated to hear your story of about your rise to becoming editor in chief, and you've been there since. What, uh, well, I was at the Castellani from 1991 to 1999. Oh, nice. And so okay. then I started at Spree in 1999. What happened with Buffalo Spree, and I know about you know about its history, was founded in 1967 mm-hmm. by a woman from Lockport, uh, Joanna. She may have lived in Buffalo at the time, and Joanna Chatel and her mm-hmm. husband, Richard Chatel, still around. He's still, I, I think they're both still around. Mm-hmm. And then they split up, she kept it. Um, but it was mainly, I don't even know what you'd call it. It wasn't a city regional magazine. Well, I remember it from years ago, seeing it on the newsstand. Uh, I think for the longest period of existence, it would have mainly poetry and fiction that they got from all over the place. Okay. Um, and they would have a, a college student would be the editor and would pick out the poetry and fiction. And it, there's always been, it, that's sort of controversial over the years. People say, you know, that that's such an insane name. <laughs> and, and we're like, but that's the brand. And see, you don't really switch the brand. No. You no. embrace the brand. And I believe the very first issue might have been called, was called, I, I have the front cover, Buffalo Shopping Spree. So that's where that came from. Oh. And there was a lot of, and if you look at there, there would be like a big ad section a shopping guide that would have mm-hmm. sort of curated that would have all kinds of things that you can buy. And that was like for a while, the biggest part of the magazine, then it would have some fashion. It would have some recipes, have cultural listings. It was very idiosyncratic. Hmm. Interesting. And then it d- evolved into this poetry and fiction magazine that would still have uh, the, the shopping section How and there'd be no design. There's no layout. There's hardly any photography. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So in 1998, Larry Levitt buys Buffalo Spree from Joanna, who has gone back to her maiden name, Vandermark, mm-hmm. with David McDuff. It was pretty much all Larry. I don't know if you know anything about Larry. He had been a long history in Buffalo broadcasting. Yes, yes. I, I know the yeah. name very well. Yeah. I don't know his no. connections entirely to the Spree, but... You know, he'd sold WBN. He'd left that. He was looking, you know, he was doing some consulting and I think he was sort of looking for something to do. He's not the kind of guy who retires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he wasn't. And he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> so he um, bought, 
bought the magazine from in 98 and, and he looked at other city regional magazines uh, with which you may be familiar, like Boston Magazine, Philadelphia Magazine, Atlanta mm-hmm. has Atlanta, a magazine, yes. you know, LA, Dallas, I mean, tons of them. Mm. And um, he saw the model of the city regional magazine was quite different than what Spree was then. It didn't have any poetry or fiction in it. It would be, it would be it's a lifestyle magazine. There would be food coverage. There would be coverage of the arts. There would be interviews with people. You would have columnists and things like that. So he, and so it, I was, I got that job to make Buffalo Spree from what it had been to a city regional magazine. To, to sort of remake it into more yeah. of a celebration of, of Buffalo, right. everything, food, arts, drink, whatever. Right. Yes. Yeah. And what was your what was your position at that point? Well, I, mean, I was still working at the Castellani, but I was also doing the arts um, calendar and some art reviews for Art Boys at that time. Yes. So I went into the Art Boys, and it only took me like a couple hours a week or something. I go in there. No wonder I feel like I know you. You've written in all of these things that <laughs> yes. I have obviously seen. Well, yeah, and I was, and I've been writing for the Buffalo News for yes. some years too. So, so I went in there and I looked in my mailbox, and um, there was this announcement that Buffalo Spree was looking for an editor, and I was just fascinated by this because I knew all about Spree. When I was at the Spectrum, we would sit down at the office and look at it, and and kind of guffaw because we didn't <laughs> think it was what we knew. New York Magazine. Yes. Was the gold standard and still pretty much is mm-hmm. of a city regional magazine, even though it's weekly. I think it's bi-weekly now. We knew New York Magazine. We liked New York Magazine. This was not New York Magazine. No. <laughs> and so we were like, when are we going to get a real Buffalo Magazine? And actually a couple of Buffalo Magazines did arrive. Come and go. Yeah, yes. come and go. So that's what that was the job. And so I went there and Larry had all these other city regional magazines on his desk this huge marble desk. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't even care if I get the job. I think what you're doing is awesome. We need this. We need a magazine like this. I'm glad you're doing this. And uh, I did get the job and that's, that's what's my job. Did he at that time have a focus? I shouldn't say a focus, an outline of where he, he thought Spree should go, or did he simply have all these other magazines and say, I want you to look at these and use them yeah. as a model, or, or right. did he in his... In other words, what I guess what I'm getting at is, who actually created this new... Well, they had the makings. You know, they had the makings. There had already been architecture columns and history columns. There were... I mean, they started it uh, under, like, a temporary editor, mm-hmm. like, a few mm-hmm. months before I came on. I see. I think there were... in. 99 there may there were three issues that came out before I took over that had sort of the kind but they didn't have departments there was no organization mm-hmm. and that's one of the main things you do as an editor you're just continually reorganizing everything I see. and then once you think you've got it all the organized then you you go back to the drawing board and you give everything <laughs> different names and you reorganize it again you organize again <laughs> yeah yeah so so my my first issue was uh November December 1999 Okay. That's the first one that's officially with you as editor. Yes, as me. Yes, with me. And what would you say, what would you say were the major changes that you, like, what, what were your fingerprints on in that issue? Well, I mean, I, I have a lot of arts background. Mm-hmm. So I beefed up the arts section. I, I made an arts section. See, there hadn't been any arts section. There really, there wasn't, yes. 
you know, and, and what sort of food dining coverage are you going to have? Well, okay, you're going to have an alcohol column. You know, you're going to have reviews. What kind of reviews? Are you going to do restaurant reviews with restaurants? Are you going to do interviews with um, chefs? Mm-hmm. Are you going to do, are your reviews going to have tiers? Like you've got your fine dining review, the review. We actually have three tiers. We have um, no jacket re- required, which is increasingly most restaurants now. Mm. <laughs> um, but we just call it that. We know no jackets are ever required anywhere, pretty much. No, but uh, you've got the review. That's our white tablecloth. <laughs> and you've got no jacket required, and that could be almost anything. But in the early days, that was a slightly more casual than right. if you were going to say Oliver. Exactly. There was a difference at some mm-hmm. time. At one yes, point. there was. And then, and then you have your cheap eats. <laughs> right. Right. Always those those distinctions. Like just looking near me, mm-hmm. where I live, at the corner of uh, Franklin and uh, Allen, you have Cafe 59. Yes. That's definitely a no jacket required. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would go so far as to call it a cheap eats. No. No. ABV, no jacket required. Mm-hmm. Allentown, Ellen Burger Colder Venture. Sure. Colder Bay. No jacket. You know, it's like <laughs> increasingly that is, you know. But Billy, but Billy Club, the review. Yes. The review. And maybe failing Allen, hard to say. Of course, a lot of restaurateurs only want to be called uh, casual now. They don't even want to be called fine dining. And of course, now you can't go inside anywhere. So it's pretty, now it's, we just have one category. Guess right. what that is? Food. Takeout. <laughs> oh, takeout, yes. Our next, um, our next issue is takeout, takeout issue. Yes. I love, I love getting the issues and wondering what the, what the focus is going to be for this particular issue. Of course, you have your usual, not your usual, but your annual best of for this, that, right. and the other thing. And those are always a lot of fun. But every issue, sometimes it's a gardening issue. Sometimes it's an architecture, something that I'm particularly interested in. And of course, the arts. But I, I love getting it every every month and just seeing what that particular focus is, which brings me to a question is now you have a big editorial staff that you all sit around a table and you say, OK, here we are in, in uh, well, here we no. are in January. Let's start planning our June issue. No, no, we plan. Actually, we plan in June for the following year. So in wow. June of 2021, we'll be planning for 2022. Wow. But in recent months, a lot of that planning has gone by the wayside. Sure, you had to change things. All the and that with all the magazines the same. So we found ourselves going from issue to issue. I wasn't ready to do best of in July, so we did hiking. We ended up pushing best of to October. August had been pets, and we stuck with pets. Mm-hmm. That's pretty universal. That even in the middle of a pandemic, that that'll work. Right, right. And I think September had been something that we absolutely could not do. Because it just didn't work anymore because it was- It did not work. Probably an inside thing. Right, right. And we had some issues with our, uh, you know, with our home. You know, we, we do all these great home shoots, but for a while I couldn't send any photographers in to anyone's home. Right. So, you know, we're taking supply photography, things that people had, you know, and so on. So there's there's been a lot of, you know, and I'm sure this is a word that you're just equally as sick of as I am, but there has been a lot of um, pivoting. So, um, so I, we planned, let's see, I think we finally said, and anyways, I don't have a big editorial staff. There is one senior editor, Wendy Swearingen. She is also the editor of our um, Forever Young, our senior paper. It comes out monthly. 
So she can spend about half of her time or sometimes a little more with helping me, but she also does all our social media and that's the entire editorial staff. And everything you're doing, everything you're doing is still work from home, I assume. Yes. Yes. Um, well, all of us are working from home. There's uh, our creative director is still in the office. He likes being there mm -hmm. and there's no one else there. So he can be there, <laughs> but yes, we're all. And also I have a, I have a huge team of freelance writers. And, and when I am looking for ideas, getting back to what we were talking about, I go to them. Oh, and we have meetings. We have in-person meetings. You know, we, we used to have one big brainstorming meeting a year and we're still doing those via zoom. And so, um, but they come from all over They're um, men, women, old, young, you know, uh, all different sorts of occupations. Mm -hmm. So it's very likely, it's possible that one of them would call you up one, one day and say, Elizabeth, I have an idea for, you know, something six months from now or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, they would email me. And you, are you able to pivot that that quickly or do you, because you said you're planning things out months in advance. If it fits into one of our features that we have coming up, I mm -hmm. can add it and, and often it would. Or uh, it'll fit, like we've got one huge catch-all department called 716 that has everything. It's got sports, it's got gardening, it has a political column. I mean, it has architecture. It's just, you know, it's just local. Yes. I mean, the whole magazine is local, so it's totally a cop-out. I can put anything in there. <laughs> so. and, that's, and that's how it should be, I think. I don't think one should be limited. No, it's it's nice to have. I don't think you should, think you should box yourself in. Mm -hmm. Well, it, certainly Buffalo Spree tries to cover so many aspects of Buffalo. I mean, just I can't think of anything that wouldn't fit into your your design because you do cover everything from architecture to the arts to to food and drink to to you know best burger, best chicken wings, whatever, and all sorts of guides to Western New York and your medical guides and so on. And those special issues that come out, best doctors and things like that in Buffalo, those are incredibly valuable. Yeah. It's called reader service mm -hmm. and newspapers provide. I mean, one thing we can't do is we can't really cover sports in a timely fashion, No, I but we can that. do general, we can, we can do some coverage, but yes. it, but it can't be, it can't rely on what happened yesterday yeah it can't you know right. so you can you can um, look forward to the upcoming hockey season mm -hmm. in general you can look forward to the, the, that sort of thing but you can talk about the coach you know <laughs> you can assume the or whoever the quarterback is or whoever the mo you know the most important player you know you can talk about someone like jack eichel you can talk about someone like josh sure. Allen. you can you know you can talk about those people. Someone who you can assume is going to be around for a few more right. months. Yes. yes. <laughs> is not going right. to make the article uh, stale. Right. right, 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 right. Just out of curiosity, now there are all sorts of other publications that are under the Buffalo Spree sort of yes. umbrella, as you just talked about, the Forever Young and so on. But there's, you know, On the Town and, and uh, the Western New York books and Jewish the journal pro, the program. Yeah. The Jewish, yeah, the Jewish journal. And then we do the Jewish observer in Syracuse. We do not edit those. I don't see those. Mm -hmm. They, they are edited by outside editors who, who send in the content, but you're the publisher or the we publish and we sell ads into it. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, we have agreements with the organizations that put out those publications. Yes. The Federation, you know, had, we have an agreement with them to put out the Jewish Journal. 
and whatever organization in, in Syracuse. And then we also have as Forever Young, which is monthly, and that's all us. Yes, written and edited and so on. Right, right. Yes. And then we have yes. our ancillaries, our holiday shopping guide. Mm -hmm. That's mainly ads, but it has like a little editorial section in the middle that we do. And then we have um, On the Town is an arts performing arts guide. Oh, the new one, uh, Medicine in Western New York. Yes. And then we also have, except we're not doing them right now, we do the program books for all the, the theaters, for Shays, for BPO. For, oh. Well, BPO, we are doing a digital program book for them because they are doing streaming. Yes, I'm, I'm enjoying them. Yes. Yeah. But we also do Kavanoke, Irish Classical, um, Musical Fair. I mean, there's just, you know, it, I think Quite they're all listed in our masthead. There's a lot, but of course, we're not doing any of them right now. No, of course not. You know... It, how do you feel about Buffalo at this point in its resurgence? And I know it's a big, big question, but I think everybody feels discounting the pandemic and discounting what's happened to us in the past nine, 10, 11 months. Do you feel like Buffalo is having this resurgence that, that people are talking about? Well, I, it is, it is, it's a complex question. And, and, you know, if, if you look at the big picture and you look at, um, how many people are still living in poverty? How many, you know, what's our housing situation? How many people absolutely rely on assistance at any time, not just during a pandemic, to eat? If you look at those kinds of questions, I don't believe that you can say that a city like Buffalo, and there's many other cities in this condition, is, sure. is necessarily having a huge economic renaissance, or, or if it is, there's a lot of people who are playing no part in it. However, that being said, I, I do think that Buffalo is kind of growing down to itself, growing down to what it is now. Buffalo is realizing the type of city that it is now. It's not that big city, that city that relied on a huge industry to employ all these people that, you know, we're a different kind of city. We have different kinds of jobs for people. We have uh, we are taking better advantages of the natural assets we have. I think that's one of the things that we're really doing well at. Mm -hmm. And I think our art scene is phenomenal. I think it's very exciting what's happening with the Albright Knox. Oh, yes. Uh, already a world-class museum, and now it's just, it's going to be amazing. So so that's really exciting. And um, and I, I think that what's been done downtown and the Outer Harbor and Canal Side are, are really wonderful things. And, and you know, that, that Tesla factory is there. Yes. In my neighborhood, we're surrounded by... I remember when they first started talking about the medical campus and, and you'd be like, what? And then, the, and then the buildings started coming first with Hopman Woodward and the bio biomedical center and Conventus and now the, the UB medical school. So these are all important things. Positive steps. Help define the, the new Buffalo, the way that Buffalo is now. And I, and I believe that um, good work is done is being done with some of the housing and apartment projects. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think that we're realizing who we are and trying to adapt to what the reality is and right. trying to make that work as best we can. Instead of focusing on bringing in, as you said, huge industry and, right. uh, well, it goes back to the Bass Pro debacle several right, years right. ago. Silver and bullet stuff. Yeah, and instead take that that entire canal side there and turn it into mm -hmm. a many small right. attractions that are just... When you think about how, you know, everyone used to talk about the casino is like, is this huge deal? Yes. You know, that if it came, it would do all, you know, it'd be amazing. Solve all of our problems. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if you look at the two entities, you look at canal side, everything that's there, 
with the Naval Park being brought over and everything and restaurants and a big children's museum and all that, well, it, it has much more stature sure. and, and does more lasting good, both for our image and for providing um, important amenities for our citizens. Well, I think you've already touched upon this, the areas that still need work in the city. And uh, maybe we shouldn't get into that again, but clearly, because Buffalo Spree clearly- It's not like we're, our focus is, is completely single-minded towards what we feel to be people who can afford things that you know we advertise in the magazine. Mm-hmm. We have to reflect all that Buffalo is, not all the time, we're not a socioeconomic journal and we're, we're not a political journal, but, you know, there, there are aspects of Buffalo that, that um, need attending to and there are, that are news, even for a magazine like ours. Yes, I understand. So I, I want to ask you one quick question, and I, I, you've already been very generous with your time. I have something. I hope that, you get something out of this. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll edit it down and leave all of your <laughs> good stuff in and all of my dumb stuff out. Uh, I have a question that I ask people from time to time because this, this podcast is called Off-Road. Obviously, you're a very big Buffalo booster. You're Obviously, you're a very, uh, very much into writing and, and, and that sort of, and the arts and so on. But I like to ask people, if you had taken a different road, if I could take you off-road for a second, if you had taken a different road, where might you be or what other interests might you be pursuing now if it wasn't in journalism? It's not really a different road, but um, I really did enjoy working in a museum as a curator. So I kind of have had to, I've, I've sort of had and still have, you know, even after I left the Castellani, I did some guest curating things for a couple of museums, not just the Castellani, I did them for another place as well. And, and uh uh, you would want to be involved in art and galleries if you were to to go off road somewhere. I guess so. Um, I, I think I can say this. I would like to do more with my garden writing. I'd like to do a real garden book, wow. not just you know this is garden walk story. What I mean, which was fine, you mm-hmm. know. And it's a pretty book. It's a nice book. But I, I guess I'd like to do some real garden writing. But you know what? What stops me, of course, is that. Unlike many people who write about gardening, not all, I have zero, you know, horticultural background of any scholarly type. I I mean, you can get a PhD in it. No kidding. Well, in horticulture, I'm sure. I mean, there's a lot of science there. And there's things that, you know, like a a lot of the landscapers, they go and they actually get a, a certified nursery landscape professional certification. And that means that they've gone through like maybe someplace like NCCC and things, you know, it's just a lot of really geeky gardening, mm-hmm. earth, soil, plant stuff. A lot that, of the science behind it, really. Right, that I have not, you know, studied. Sure. So that, that would stand in my, but, you know, I don't think it would need to really stand in my, because it didn't stand in my, my, my friend, Amy Stewart, is traveled all over the U.S. talking about her garden books and she has so maybe a, maybe another road you would have taken is to go down that horticultural road to yes. study <laughs> the yes. science yes. of I don't gardens. Want to, no, it's, the work is too hard. No, <laughs> stop right there. Lifting yeah. all those, I don't, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> it. Makes me tired just looking at it. It's all hard work. There's nothing easy about it. I suppose if well, I suppose if you're in a lab creating new roses or something, but you yes, still got to yeah. get out there in the field eventually and do oh. hard work. And every year they reveal a new flavor of apple. Somebody, somebody's in a lab somewhere grafting these things together, 
and it's 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 just genius however they do it because every time i bite some of them are really good they really are <laughs> i mean i was just when i was a kid it was all about red delicious now there's ever crisp and i just saw another one that was advertised the other day and i thought there's one i just hit snapdragon really good snapdragon maybe that's the one i just saw it advertised in tops or aldi or someplace but elizabeth lakata thank you so much for joining me <laughs> <laughs> me today we got off on a tangent and, and i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna edit this i'll try to make us yeah, our tangents led to other tangents so they, good luck they did well thank you very much i hope you have a great thank day and you. uh take care of yourself you too bye-bye yes i got the confirmation email i got the confirmation text message then i got the cancellation email and I got the cancellation text message so uh, no vaccine for me yet <laughs> what are you gonna do I guess he got us one last time didn't he so listen Elizabeth Licata from the Buffalo Spree magazine I love the Buffalo Spree magazine I read it every month I enjoy it and I think this week I'm gonna take a little ride out to Steve and Ellen Gadra's Bo Peep Deli, because that sounds pretty good. And, and all the restaurants that, that were mentioned earlier by Donna, those are all good choices. Remember to patronize your restaurants. Remember to put a little extra tip in there. And everybody will get through this safely. And listen, if you haven't gone to roadlesstravelproductions.org and click on merchandise so you can get all sorts of cool stuff, including a road less traveled t-shirt or sweatshirt or an off-road mug. Those things are all available and they're all very cool. Plus, you get to support one of the most innovative and coolest theater companies in the city. Listen, that's it for us. For us? <laughs> that's it for me. There's no us here. That's it for me. I will be uh, back in a couple of weeks with another great interview and another great recommendation, several recommendations for it to go. So, Remember to come back in a couple of weeks here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Mm -hmm.